Welcome to Classical Etc., a show that dives into the philosophy, culture, and heart of classical education. You're in the studio with Shane Saxon. Okay, so we've talked about two of the core ideas at Memorial Press, that we are classical and that we are traditional. And we're talking about a third core idea. Is when anyone talks about Memorial Press, they say that we're classical, traditional, and Christian. So I want to come back around to why that's a core idea, but I think I actually want to start a little bit more academic than that. So maybe, um, Martin, you can speak to this. A lot of people, when they talk about classical education and Christianity, they'll throw out this phrase, theology is the queen of the sciences, a phrase that is almost unintelligible to most people today. Can you explain what that means, that theology is the queen of the sciences? Well, I, I just so happen to have been reading The Idea of a University by John Henry Newman, which is one of the great books on education, uh, written by a Christian. Um, and uh, he talks about this in one chapter. And I just I just happened to have read yesterday. You, wow. probably, you didn't even know that. Uh, and he makes the point that, you know, what is theology's role in, in education, mm -hmm. the arts and the sciences? And he, he basically says, look, this affects everything. Your belief in the ultimate thing will affect every particular thing. And if you take it out, uh, then nothing can be viewed rightly. Um, and of course, it, it's, I, it's interesting. You, we say queen of the sun. Why not the king of the science? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and because really, in a way, the king of the sciences is philosophy, because philosophy is just the science of sciences. Mm. Uh, science meaning a body of knowledge. It's the body of knowledge about all bodies of knowledge and how they interrelate to each other. And and uh, and um, and yet it is the handmaid. We say it's the handmaid of theology. Uh, it's the tool by which theology looks at everything because theology is an overall encompassing thing. It's a, it's a very general thing as opposed to particular subjects, which are aimed at certain particular aspects of reality. So in that sense, in, in the sense that it's so universal, um, I think that's why it's called the queen of the sciences, because it's, it's, it's one of the sciences, uh, philosophy being the other, which is the tool of theology, um, which view, wants to view everything, not just some particular. I like, I like the queen instead of the king. I'm sure you do. Because <laughs> it sounds nurturing. Mm. No, that, yeah, but that's, that's right. The way it I, nurtures I, I, the rest of the bodies of knowledge, yes. which is the way you're using the word science mm -hmm. in that older way. Yeah. And I also, I like what, you pointed out about it sort of being pervasive, right? Because if we believe God created the world, then everything that we learn about the world, and in some ways speaking to us of God, mm -hmm. in that sense, theology has to be pervasive, right? And so what we learn in other sciences has to speak to us of what we know about God and therefore theology. So Martin, though, when you describe it that way, it sounds to me like you're talking about what other people would talk about as a Christian worldview, the way that Christianity is pervasive, but I, I feel like you're on record saying you don't really love that terminology. Well, and I, I, I've, I've cooked up a, a better term okay. actually than worldview because worldview, the, the reason just a little background, I mean, the reason I've kind of contested that a little bit is because it sounds so subjectivist. Mm -hmm. It sounds like, well, you have your worldview and I have my worldview and, and it's just your own kind of subjective view of everything. Whereas I think if we used a term like what's your cosmology, what is your view of the cosmos? The cosmos being everything that is physical and metaphysical. 
what, what's your, what's your cosmology? And it has that less sounds, of that. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like astrology. I did not expect Is this the first time you've tried that term out? Uh, <laughs> publicly. We should keep working. Let's keep workshopping. Yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. <laughs> no, but it doesn't have that subjective view. And, and yeah, so I think that, that uh, theology actually is a little bit better term, although that has its own problems because theology also has this very sort of particularist sense to it. You know, you have your theology and I mean, there's a lot of theologies depending on which, you know, uh, church you're in and all that. But, but, um, but yeah, I think it does have that sense much more than worldview does. Sure. So when we talk about theology as the queen of the sciences, we're usually talking about theology in terms of any kind of formulation of doctrine about God instead of theology proper, which would be like just speaking about Yes. The nature of God himself. Yeah. Do you, um, Paul, do you agree with Martin's critique of this idea of, of Christian worldview, or do you think that, that we could redeem that term and use uh, it to describe our schools? I, I personally agree with Martin. Okay. It's one of the few few instances uh, <laughs> that I would agree that with, probably without qualification. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I, I, and, you know, some of that is just... Uh, personal subjective feeling when I hear that term and I don't know why I have those connotations, but I, 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 I don't like the word, but it's less more than not liking the word. It's more, I feel um, maybe it's because if I feel like it pigeonholes me into a certain way of, uh, I guess thinking more broadly of philosophy, theology, the, the liberal arts and the sciences more broadly, I feel like it, it, it gives me an expanse that worldview doesn't give me. Hmm. I don't know if that. I think that makes sense. I mean, I think that the term, you know, being coined at a point in philosophical history when people were starting to describe their subjective experience of the world, like kind of gives it that connotation, mm. like you're mm -hmm. saying, where I think in our education, what we're trying to do is teach children how to view the world as it actually is, mm -hmm. which I think is why you use the word cosmology. Yeah, right. Because uh, the word originates in Immanuel uh, Kant's uh, book, Critique of Judgment. And then it, and then what's more bothersome than, than, than that, and that's not terribly bothersome, but then Nietzsche picks it up and Nietzsche uses that word. Sure. And, and, uh, and, and I think it, it, it has, it gets a promiscuous feeling to it because, but just by virtue of the fact that Nietzsche used it yeah. so much and there were so many problems with him. Um, but yeah, and, and part of the problem with, 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 uh, the whole worldview as it sort of stands right now, the people who use that word will often describe it. If you say, well, what's, what's a worldview? And they'll, they'll say, well, it, and they'll just give you these lists of beliefs that they like. Well, it's not the beliefs that you have. It's, it's those really fundamental assumptions behind all your, or all your beliefs. Uh, that's what a worldview is. Those are really fundamental things, not just a list of all the things you believe. And so I think some of the discussions of worldview are a little, uh, quite frankly, a little lightweight because of that. So Tanya, dare I say it, the Memorial Press curriculum and Highlands Latin School, we're not trying to educate students so that they have a Christian worldview. But Christianity is a central idea. That's why it's one of these three topics. How is that the case in our curriculum and in our schools? Well, that we believe that that it is central to everything right. and that our goal in educating children is so that we can equip them best to fulfill the purpose that God has for their lives. And so in order to do that, we do definitely have to teach from a Christian perspective right. because we believe that in the 
the truth, good, goodness, and beauty. That T for truth is capital. That is that truth is Christian in nature, and so to have a to have a real education that is going to take children through their lives it is going to have to be Christian because we were created by God for a purpose. And so we've got to be able to figure out what that purpose is and give the students the tools that they need to best serve. And that's the whole, you know, our three things, classical, traditional, and Christian, really, to me, that's a little bit like Christian to me is, is, all of those mm. is in in all of those. Right. And so, you know, a traditional classroom is helping us put order and into their lives and structure and teach them to be respectful of others, character development. All of that is Christian and classical is so that they can think best and so that they've read wisdom and and are garnering it themselves. And all of that is also Christian. So Mm -hmm. maybe those three tenets, I feel like Christianity is part of all of them, whereas classical is not necessarily part of traditional or. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the relationships between those are interesting, but I I do notice that sometimes I'll, I'll see the expression in mottos uh, and this sort of thing. um, And they'll say classical and Christian. And I, I, I balk at that a little bit simply because if you go back to what classical, what what, we, what was called classical education before the 1920s in this country, it was Christian. Uh, classical education included everything and included uh, the writings of the ancients. It, in, it included uh, writing of the theologians. It included, you know, all the Christian writings in that body of work. The, you said classical, you meant all that. So you didn't really have to add the term Christian. So sometimes that looks to me like it's being stuck together when one really already includes the other. So it's a kind of a different angle in what you were talking about. And it speaks to the fact that when we talk about studying classical cultures, we always tag on that third culture people don't always talk mm-hmm. about, which is the culture of the Hebrews, that when the insights of the Hebrew culture were adopted by the Roman Empire and then propagated throughout uh, the Middle Ages became the robust tradition of Christian history that we are are still existing within today. Right. Well, what Christian culture was, was the culture of Athens and, 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 and Hebrews and Jerusalem, Athens and Jerusalem. So when I say Christian now in, in this particular time living downstream of, of the, uh, how, how the Christian church took those two traditions together, worked through them because they wanted truth, even if it was provided through God's general revelation through the Greeks, uh, as, uh, in addition to the special direct revelation that the Hebrews received, you know, that was all worked out in the early centuries by the Cappadocian fathers, by Augustine. And so what we have now is, is an, is a sort of a consummation of both those things. Uh, so w- when you say Christian now, you're that's kind of what you mean. So my point in bringing up the term Christian worldview was to kind of show, I think, that a way that that term kind of is used in almost a small way. When we are at Memorial Press are trying to use the word Christian in a big way to talk about everything, to talk about all of our, our education. And you know, as I was going to say, I, I get the question sometimes, well, so do you have a worldview program? Mm. And I say, yes. And they said, what is it? I said, our entire curriculum. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's not, 
you don't you don't separate that out and here's the worldview right. part of it. It is it's integrated in everything that we that we do. So dovetailing on that, Paul, I want to ask you, can you think of examples and specific subjects where we put that to flesh, where it actually is all encompassing this Christian body of knowledge that we are passing on to our students? Well, uh, one of the moments that comes to mind uh, is actually in Famous Men of Rome, and you, which is, I think, a program where sometimes we get critiques because there's not enough Christianity in there, right? But the one that comes to mind is is where we bring up, right, when, when Augustus is emperor, that the Bible talks about Jesus coming to the fullness of time. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about what that means. And this is in Roman history class, right? So... The, in the context of that, so it's it's not something that gets isolated into a Bible program of, you know, this is what's going on. But when we're studying Roman history or when we, um, when we look at, I mean, we spend a year studying insects, right? If, if you're looking at something, if you're looking for something that's beautiful, I mean, I, I don't fully, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go on record saying that insects are are beautiful, even though I do love the dung beetles in my pasture, but they are, but, but we spend a whole year on that. Why? Because again, that speaks to us of, even though we can't see the, the beauty of those things, right. And their function and, and why they're part of the cosmos at all cosmology. Right. (laughs) But because God created them, they're worth studying. Right. And they're worth stewing in. And so, you know, I think, I, I think, I think in the insects program, we have, I mean, there are references to Christianity here or there, but it's the very fact that we're, we're and, and that's why it's, it's hard to come up with specific examples, I think, off the top of my head. I'm sure I could find some if you, if you prep me with that question. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, that's the, the whole thrust of the program, right? This is, this is, we're approaching this from a perspective of, we're not just trying to get you to pass a standardized test. Right. But this is worth studying because it's part of our world. Right. And it's part, it's worth doing. Right. And just, just, just slapping Bible verses in there does not make it more magnificent than it already is. You know, math, science, you know, nature, uh, all these things, uh, uh, the expressions of truth in the literature, they're their own revelation. They don't need you slapping Bible verses on it. Just appreciate it for what it is. You know, it's, it's God's work, just like everything else. Mm -hmm. Sometimes too, I think there's some subtle kind of philosophical differences between the the Christian who's looking at nature and maybe a non-Christian who's looking at nature. And I, there's a really good example in Dr. Bloom's intro to Nature's Beautiful Order, where he says that in his book, that in that book that, that we study, instead of trying to break everything down and focusing so much on the the lung function of deer and the, you know, this minute aspect of his animal, these this book studies the animal. That was made beautiful in in and that God created uniquely and saw was good. And I think that's kind of a subtle Christian way of teaching science that isn't just slapping a Bible verse on it, but it's distinctly Christian. Yeah, he's, he's he makes mm-hmm. that point again and again that that our tendency is to start with the minutest possible particle of something, when in fact uh, that's that's nice. That's part of the animal, but there's something uh, there's there the the actual animality of the thing. Mm-hmm is something over and above the parts. The whole is greater than the parts in any organic living thing. And we need to, you know, the, the, the purpose of our program is to have our students behold 
the wonder of the whole things in nature. That's the primary thing. Now you could, you can go on and start breaking them apart and looking at the pieces, but, but first and foremost, we need to, to behold the thing itself. Yeah. So Tanya, we do also study the Bible itself too, on, on top of all of these other topics. And I think we take a unique, but really good approach to it. Would you explain it? And, and when you were teaching sixth grade, did you find it was effective because you were teaching that Christian studies for the, the end of, of the road in, in a lot of ways. Right. Um, so yeah, I would love to talk about the curriculum. <laughs> so, um, so in K to two, we read through the Bible chronologically using the children's story Bible, very simple stories, beautiful illustrations. And so that just gives the young students an introduction, but they're doing it chronologically all the way through. For three years. And then in third through fifth, we do it again using the Golden Children's Bible. But at that point, we have a study guide and we're literally studying those characters and those events and those places and really just trying to put a map of all of that in students' heads without teaching any doctrine. Just these are the stories. This is God's creation. These are his people. And this is his story leading up to fifth grade. When we study Jesus for most of the year with at the end are a few lessons on the early church, but it really is mostly the gospels. So then in sixth grade, it, we're overviewing the entire thing for the third time. They're doing it in a year. And at that point, we really are trying to solidify the main facts of the stories, where they are, so that students, when they want to look something up in the Bible, they have a general idea of where it happened and so that is also the time, they, the first time that we in the classrooms have an actual adult Bible, not the Golden Children's Bible. And the interesting thing for me when I taught was to see how fluent the students got in flipping through that Bible. Sure. Because at first, it was really difficult for them to find any book of the Bible, even though they knew them and could rattle them off. You know, it's just there's a skill in that. But by the end of the year, they were really fluent with it. So it just makes it comfortable for them. But then after that, you know, we go into early church history and a survey of um, Christianity. But we really do spend those foundational years nailing what's in the Bible and where it is, who the who the main characters are, what the major events are. And when you do it chronologically like that, you literally are seeing from the creation of of the world all the way up to Jesus and why he had to come. And so it really is beautiful going all the way through that, all those years. And I think the other thing, the other main big thing that we do to tie it all together is the timeline program. Because all those Christian study states, then when the students see them alongside the Roman history and Greek history dates, it gives some context. Sure to it for them. So that is the tie, I think, all the way through history, even though, you know, our teachers are teaching from a Christian perspective. I won't say a Christian worldview. <laughs> They're teaching from a cosmological perspective. There you go. Oh my yeah. gosh. Keep saying it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, do you have a crystal ball up here? <laughs> um, and then... Um, and the books are written, all of our study guides for all the subjects were written by Christian people. So everything is, even though we don't have necessarily blatant Bible verses scattered throughout our curriculum, it's there. Right. And Shane, I think you asked, one of the questions you asked, Tanya, was did she find 
the curriculum effective. Yeah. And I can say when I was teaching seventh and eighth grades, the first year I came to Highlands, I just assumed students knew. I, I don't think I knew what they had done in the prior years, but I just assumed they would know it and they did. Mm -hmm. So I could be teaching the Iliad and reference whether it was an obscure story or a well-known story in the Bible. And they knew exactly what I was talking about, which was very helpful. And, you know, and then we went in and read, um, the letters from the early church fathers and, you know, they, they knew, you know, what had happened uh, through the story of the chosen people through the coming of Christ and, and the book of Acts. And so it was, um, it was just kind of like picking up and continuing on. Uh, and so it, it, I would absolutely say it was effective. Yeah. Mrs. Lowe made the point I've read that the, one of the, her kind of passions in making the Christian studies curriculum was that a lot of schools that are Christian don't treat the, the study of the Bible with the same rigor that they treat other subjects. And she felt like that dishonored the Bible. And I agree. I mean, it's, it's something to be mined for all it's worth and to be put into your, to your mind for, for your life. That was one of her, that was a, a really big point that she constantly made was that Christian studies gets the same kind of academic rigor as every other class. Yeah. It's not a Bible study. This is an academic course. With, yeah. And we have a responsibility to make sure that our students know as much about their Christian lives as possible. Yeah. And it wasn't topical. You know, I'm, I'm, at my church, I was always fighting the battle of you know, getting a program in the Sunday school that actually taught the basic because they all assumed that the kids had the basics. Mm. No, they didn't. They, yeah. that, that, that's what you needed to be doing in Sunday school. And so, you know, having having a program that is systematic and, and, and rigorous and, and, and not topical, not just topic hopping from one thing to another and never having any, you know, cumulative, uh, consistent knowledge of it. And that, that's that's what Cheryl mm. was always concerned about. Now, we still use the King James Version in all of our, our classes. Um, Martin, why is that? <laughs> uh, well, of course, I've written about this. Um, yeah, I think that um, that that part of the, you know, I, I have an issue with a lot of modern translations of the Bible, and I'm not alone in this, uh, in, in the church, I think. But, um, you know, we, we, we have these modern Bible translations, and they're supposed to be up to date and more like today's language. Um and, um, and they're not very well, just in terms of the English, they're not very well written. I mean, it's great to have, you know, Greek scholars in your translation team, and it's great to have Hebrew scholars in your translation team, you know, experts in Greek and Hebrew. That's great. You also need experts in English. Mm. And you go back to the King James Bible and you see that those, those translators, all of whom were thoroughly classically educated, they were familiar with all great literature. They were familiar with the Bible. They knew Greek and Hebrew, but they were trained also in English. Yeah. And it's, it literally, whatever you think of it, um, it's, it is the greatest work in English. Now, wh whatever you think about accuracy and all that, if you want, if you want accuracy, a newer translation is not going to help you. If you want accuracy, you got to go back to the original language because every translation is, in a sense, a mistranslation, right? So you, you so there, that's not really the question. The question is, you got an English Bible here, and what what kind of language language is it written in? And it's written in a great high language, and that was in, that's intentional. I mean, a lot of people think that's the way they talked back. No, they didn't. Even in the time the King James Bible was written, it was considered high language because it had a grand subject. So, Martin, let me ask you this. What was the role of Christianity in your homeschool when you were raising your boys? Well, I think, you know, when you're talking about education and the role of Christianity in it, you're talking about two things. One is the implicit things, and the other is the explicit things. 
Okay. Implicitly, it's it's in everything that you use in your home school in terms of the assumptions that are behind it. And those are a little more difficult to ferret out, but but you can do it. And there's also the explicit aspect of it. I mean, I remember, you know, one of the one of the things I remember the most about uh, homeschooling, which m- most of which my wife did, is I would I would walk by a room and she would read uh, the sto- a story Bible, either the uh, uh, later on the Golden uh, Children's Bible. She would be in there just reading it to them, and so she would be sitting on the couch, and she'd have you know uh, a, a little boy on the right hand, you know, twirling at her hair, and another one on her lap, and another one on the on the uh, floor coloring a book or something, and she would just read it to them just out loud. Uh, which brings in another aspect of things that maybe we can talk about sometimes is the whole uh, benefit of reading aloud. Mm. Um, but she would read it aloud to them. And then, you know, they would have some kind of program later on uh, in a different room, maybe that's actually doing Bible study like our program does, although that program wasn't out yet at that time. Um, so, I, but I think, you know, just it, it, it needs to be behind all the subjects we teach implicit in them. Uh, we need and, and we need to study it explicitly both by having them study it and by having us read the Bible out loud in words to them. Yeah. Tony, what about you? I did the same thing that Martin did, only Cheryl Lowe was really in charge of what we were doing because my kids were in her one day a week cottage school. And so we were using Intro to Classical Studies, which had the, Mm -hmm. they were going through the entire Golden Children's Bible every year for three years, which was just a lot. But my husband's a minister too, so um, my kids would probably say that they were in church all the time because it was part of their schoolwork and they're, you know, just a huge part of their lives. But I feel like they knew a lot. I know that they knew a lot more in church than the other children. I do think that's a failure in our churches today is that we aren't teaching those things in an academic way that are central to who we are, that students don't know anymore. They don't know what's in the Bible or where it is or how to how it's all connected. So I do feel I'm very thankful for that for that academic role that Christian studies took in their lives that I think complemented very well our church lives. Yeah. So Paul, you're the resident example of a classically educated student. Um and your connection to Christianity and classical education was probably more profound than most. So well, I mean I was thinking more uh, of my early elementary when I was homeschooled, which is very interesting because I was sitting here thinking about it and thinking, well, we, there, there was no divorce between our faith and what we studied. Right. So we, we were, we were, it was a five minute walk to the church. And so, you know, we would, we find ourselves at the church throughout the week as well, not just on Sundays, um, we, we had, uh, there was another family that homeschooled too, and we would memorize the same Bible verses and, and go through that. Um, but also like when we would study the Bible, it was, I think like reflecting back on this, this perspective of it gets the same academic rigor, I think in my mind just sort of cemented, this is, this is a, an inherent part of what it means to be educated. 
And so while by being involved in the church and, and all of that led me to, um, a personal encounter with God, it, it, the academic side meant that my cosmology <laughs> included See, catching on <laughs> included Christianity to its core. Right. And, and, you know, later on, I found, I remember being a child and going, wow, mom's really passionate about this, this faith stuff, you know, <laughs> and later on, I found out that it was because she was coming back to her faith because as she decided to homeschool, she said, well, I have to, I have to teach them the faith. Mm. And so she was rediscovering it as she taught it, mm. which for her, you know, has completely changed her life insofar as, you know, where, how she prioritized the faith in her life, which is amazing. Right. And that was passed down to me as a passion because, you know, she was rediscovering it. So one of the benefits even of, of giving your child this education is, is the own, the, the, your own journey it's going to set you on. Yeah. How about you, Shane? <laughs> yeah. So I went to a, you know, a pretty standard private Christian school, um, which had a lot of good things about it. But one of the good things was that they took the the Bible extremely seriously. And so from a very young age, I, the Bible was the, one of the most, the most important book in my life. And to this day, I mean, I the, I read the biblical or the original languages for fun because I, I just love the <laughs> book itself. And they taught me that. And I think our curriculum, one of the reasons I resonate with it here and res, resonate with the program at Highlands Latin is because the, the book, the Bible, the bedrock of all, all that we believe is, is cherished and it's loved. And I, and that's what I got from it. You hear a lot of classical Christian educators throughout this Latin word pietas. How does that relate to our, our Christian identity? Well, I, pietas, um, just, I mean, it's just, it's piety. And I think it includes this idea of duty, right? And so it's, it's your duty towards God. And I, I think that goes back to sort of my, what I was trying to ex express in my own upbringing was you had this academic side of, of learning the faith, right? But then there's also, what is that, what, what is that, what's the working out of that in your life, right? And so God has certain things of us. And so part of the education that I got when I was being homeschooled uh, and later on in other private schools was you, not only do you have to know these things, but you have to do these things, right? And so there's a, there's a, and it's, and it's, it's, it's character formation within the faith, right? So how are you, you know, you know, these things. So therefore, what is, what is that demand of you and, and, and putting your soul in order, if you will, in order to, to do those things that your state in life has of you. And we have, it's all through the curriculum, through the literature, through the famous men, just, you know, mistakes that they've made. And we're just pointing it out all the time. Without it, it's not like we have religion class over here, and then over here we're going to have history, and they're two separate things. We do have a separate religion class, but we also have, it's just, it's everywhere. I think, I don't know if we're expressing that, that it's part of everything because it's part of who we are. So the character formation, that's a huge part of it. But why are we doing that so that we can be better Christians? Right. So it feels like it, it, 
it's not a, it, it's not separate in any mm. anything that we do. It's a part of who we are and everything that I'm not expressing that well, but no, you're saying I that, feel like it's just a big, it's the biggest point of what we're yeah. doing here. Our tagline as a company is to, to inculcate virtue. And if one of those virtues is pietas, <laughs> then, <laughs> then it's a fundamentally Christian goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a classical virtue as well. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the Greeks valued strength and intelligence. That's, mm-hmm. that's what their two, two values. The Romans valued uh, order and piety. And piety just meant order of the soul. So in one sense, it's just ordering your soul rightly. Um, But in another sense, you know, uh, if if you consider that the sort of the classical idea of of the soul is the intellect, the will, and the affections, um, I think that's where piety comes in. I mean, you may know something, you may decide that there's certain things you need to do as a result of knowing that, but do you have a love for it? Do you have affection for it? And I, I I don't know what a lot of people mean by the term piety, but that's what I mean by the term piety is having an affection for the, for the true. I think also in this conversation, the thing to point out here is that our curriculum, books can only do so much. Mm. The culture that we live and breathe and we stew in and our kids stew in, that's that's bringing these things like pietas to the forefront, mm. right? And that's those are that's an expectation that we have, and that you know we've we've tried as best as we can to to put that in our books, but also that's something that the culture that you're you're going to stew in is going to determine for you. Yeah, absolutely. And so there you have it. Memorial Press is classical, traditional, and Christian. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit memoriapress.com. To connect with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.